From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. ReSound is a remix of documentaries, found sound, music, and audio work from all over the world. The airwaves are positively undulating with good things to listen to. But really, who has time to sort it all out? You don't, so we do it for you. Today on ReSound, I hate this. Okay, rather, I should say, an audio work called I Hate This, A Play Without the Baby. This piece has an interesting life story. It began as a one-man show that won an overall excellence award at the New York Fringe Festival. After that, it was adapted to a radio play on WCPN in Cleveland. Now it's found its way to us. It's not our usual fare, which, of course, makes it our usual fare. David Hansen is an actor, director, and playwright whose radio play jumps back and forth between two timelines, the 36 hours before the stillbirth of his son and the year following it. A tragic topic, but it's not without some twists and turns and even a little unexpected levity. Here's I Hate This, a play without the baby. March 2001, a large hospital in Cleveland, Ohio. Price of admission. What? That's what I wanted to say. What? I knew what she had said, or I was sure I knew, but I hadn't heard her. An exhausted young resident, probably at the end of her shift, hauled in here to run an emergency ultrasound and having to say so softly, so wearily, I can't locate a heartbeat. It had been an ordinary Monday morning. My wife, Tony, was 30 weeks pregnant, and we were there for the regular bi-weekly checkup. We'd even taken separate cars, ready to head off to work when it was through. We didn't think we had anything to fear, only all the tests were off. Tony had lost weight, her belly had gotten smaller, there was protein in her urine. Our midwife checked for a heartbeat with the Doptone machine, but she couldn't find a heartbeat. But those things often malfunctioned, so she wheeled in another. Nothing. What could be the matter? The truth was incomprehensible, so I didn't comprehend it. They sat us in a small waiting room for a half hour, waiting for the emergency ultrasound, the one that was going to show us an active, wriggling fetus, like the one we had seen in January. It was March. (laughs) There was a miniature, sad, half-dead pine tree on the windowsill with Christmas ornaments on it. (laughs) It was March. Tony was so scared. I didn't know what to say. They put us in a nicer room, a room for one. It had windows overlooking the atrium, the fountain, all the people moving through this metropolitan city of a hospital. Tony changed into a gown. They ran the test. I didn't hear what the resident said. I can't locate a heartbeat. I'm sorry. Our midwife told us. I'm so sorry. Tony was shattered. I don't know what I looked like. They were already raising the bed. That was... Strangely dramatic, she was rising toward me, weeping, and I held her, confused and horrified. Finally, I looked up and articulated one thought. What happened? Our midwife shook her head. We don't know. It was Monday morning. Tony would give birth in 36 hours. We would be in that hospital until Friday. We had been admitted. March 2001 The Terrible Silence. Once we had emerged from the hospital, we asked everyone not to call. No flowers, please, though they did come. Some bright, springy flowers, because it was spring. 
His birthday was the first day of spring, and it always will be. The house was much cleaner than when we had left it. Can I clean house? My mother had asked while we were still in the hospital. I could take care of things while you weren't there, and you can come home to a clean house, and there will be food in the refrigerator. Now, I didn't want to come home to the dirty house we had left, the same house we had left, but I also knew how Tony would feel about people, you know, others moving through her home while she wasn't there. Yes, we would both really like that, only... There's an awful lot of baby things around, magazines and presents. Oh, I'll put those away somewhere. No, no, please. That's something they told us, not to let anyone do that. We need to take care of those things. We can't come home to a house that pretends he was never there. Oh, okay. Just dust around them. Mm-hmm. That will be really nice. Thank you. I wish it was something else I could do. There's nothing to do. <laughs> I guess the only way I can express my feelings is through laundry. We moved back into a clean, quiet house. Every little thing was a reminder of what happened before, what life was like before. The first night, I, I slept like the dead, back in our own bed. I woke early, alone, gray sunlight of a drizzly day weaving my way down the hallway to the nursery, following the loud keening of my wife. She was seated on a stepladder, all the paint, rollers, drop cloths laid about. I had started painting the ceiling a metallic blue. That was on Saturday, St. Patrick's Day. This was a Saturday. That was only a week ago. I want my son. Bleary-eyed and sad, I held her to me, and we rocked back and forth, her cries echoing loudly off the vacant walls of that tiny, unfinished room. And that's what it was like for an eternity. First here, and then at my mother-in-law Connie's house in Athens, days faded into days in quiet retreat with tears and flowers, and television, and food, <laughs> and alcohol. Yeah, we drank. We drank well. We drank a lot. 35 hours to birth. Dead things. Severe hypertension, preeclampsia, uterus separated, lack of blood flow. I am calm. I am in control. My eyes are burning and I am sick to my stomach, though I may just be hungry. I want to split wide open, but I have to be in control for Tony. I must be in control. For Tony. Hello. I'm so sorry for your loss. Has anyone talked to you yet? Okay. Well, there's a number of decisions you will need to make. You don't have to answer them now. I know you want to think about them and talk about them. Are you going to want to see the baby when it's delivered? Are you going to want to hold the baby? If you want to see clergy, we have someone on staff who will come and talk to you. Will you want the baby to be baptized? Okay. Will you be contacting a funeral home, or has anyone told you about the memorial service? We have a memorial service that the hospital conducts every year for the prenatal deaths. The cutoff was at the beginning of March, so you would be part of next year's, next June. Yes, June 2002. Have you named the baby? You don't know if you have a boy or a girl. Okay. 
There's also the matter of the autopsy. We may never know what happened to your baby, but we may be able to find out something that'll help. You will need to consent for us to perform the autopsy. You can watch TV if you like. Would you like me to turn on the TV? No? You don't need to sit in that stool, Mr. Thayer. You can pull the rocking chair over to the bed. It would be more comfortable. No? Okay. I know this is going to be so hard for you, but I am going to take good care of you. I never thought nine months would be enough time to prepare for a baby, fixing a room, collecting all the right things, childproofing the house. Suddenly we had one day to make a completely different set of decisions, decisions we never in our worst nightmares thought we'd have to make. See it? Name it? Hold it? We don't touch dead things. April. Julie. Both in the hospital and then for a short time after we were released, I had to make a number of phone calls to let everyone know what happened. I called my college girlfriend, Julie. Hi, David. I haven't heard from you in some time now. How are you? No? What? Oh my God, David. Oh, I'm so sorry. What happened? Didn't you know anything was wrong? You were only there for a regular exam. Oh my God. Wasn't Tony taking care of herself? Wasn't there anything you could do? Wasn't she taking care of herself? Also, maybe that blood test was telling you something was wrong. That baby was never meant to live. It was very active. You thought you felt it on Friday? Maybe if you had gone to the hospital, you might have done something. No? Oh, that's so sad. That's so terrible. I'm so sorry for you and Tony. Are you going to try again? You should try again. Listen, uh, little Nathan is really acting up here. I have to go. You two take care, all right? I will be thinking about you. Goodbye. The Dream A hot summer day. I am in my own backyard. The air is hazy and bright, kind of out of focus. It, it looks like one of those old photographs of me as a toddler, circa 1969, playing with my mom in this wooden fold-out pen. She looks so young. Her, her hair is entirely brown, no gray at all, and she's wearing these really great cat's-eye sunglasses. It's all yellow and green, bright and hot. The air is so thick, it's like a mist. There's music playing, a playful, sing-songy melody on a xylophone and drums. And there's a penny whistle. It's such a happy tune. I look up to see where the music is coming from. It's coming from the nursery on the second floor. Tony is holding the baby and pointing to me. That's Father, out in the yard, playing with Grandmother inside his wooden pen. I run into the house. Only it isn't our house. It's Connie's house in Athens. There's a small boy there in an old aviator costume, the kind with a leather helmet and goggles. I ask if he wants me to read to him, and he says he wants to play cars. So we get down on the floor and we play cars. There's a sports car and a dump truck and a few motorcycles and a helicopter. As we play with the helicopter, it becomes life-size, and we are soaring over Athens, Ohio. He sits in my lap, and I point out his grandmother's house, and head uptown and show him the courthouse and my old school, and I tell him about every part of the world. 
I'm surprised to see we are approaching Niagara Falls, and the helicopter begins to shudder with turbulence. We just miss some power lines as I pull back on the stick. The lines are coated with ice, and the wind is very strong. All around, it's hard to see. The earth is covered in white. I say everything is going to be okay, and I can see the falls maybe a quarter mile ahead, but all the snow and wind is making it very difficult to make any progress. And I look to my lap, and the boy is gone. And in his place is my cat. And he is terribly unhappy about being in a helicopter. So we turn around. I thought there was a boy with me. Oh, I really wanted to show him this. Thirty hours to birth. Blame. No, no, no. Listen, honey, look at me. There was nothing either of us could have done. That baby was never meant to live. We have no idea what happened. It may be that there was something seriously wrong with it. We can't know. Maybe it is better for the baby. We don't know. They'll perform the autopsy, and then we'll know. It was me. I haven't been paying attention. I haven't been feeding her well enough. She's been so sick the past few months. I've been so wrapped up in my own business. I couldn't prepare a decent breakfast. I could have. I didn't. Oh God, that week she spent sick in bed. I couldn't even find time to vacuum. The room is so filthy. That stomach flu she had two weeks ago. That must have had something to do with it. It was a sign, right? I mean, it had to be, right? Her boss, that hag. Tony takes three days off from work. Why? Because she's pregnant and very ill. And her boss calls her up and yells at her, calls her irresponsible, accuses my wife of、uh, uh, glad-handing her coworkers in order to make up for slacking off at work. I mean, Tony was anxious for days. She was puking sick. That woman killed my baby. Tony's blood pressure was so high when she came in, she could have had a stroke. She could have died. That woman killed my child, and if I ever meet her, I hope I can say that to her face. What was she thinking? Oh my God! The nurse who took Tony's blood pressure four weeks ago, she said that's funny, and went to get a looser cuff because her blood pressure was too high. My God, they knew four weeks ago something was wrong. That's true, isn't it? They should have known. I should have known. I should have been studying, reading. I let this baby die because I am an idiot. But it was alive on Friday, wasn't it? We had Chinese on Friday, and she said she felt it move. We had sex on Friday, and she said she felt it move. I sang to it on Friday, and I felt it move. Oh, she wanted to come in on Friday. She thought something wasn't right, but we were both too embarrassed to. We just see the doctor on Monday. Did it die last night? Saturday night? Could we have saved it? Is it our fault? It's her fault. She never took care of herself. She never lost any weight. She never went to the gym. She listened to all those hip experts. Our midwife, who said, "Oh, a glass of wine every now and then could never hurt." She went out a couple times to bars. I mean, there's so much smoke in those places. No problem. Don't worry. Why change a thing? She never did anything differently. That's not true. That's so not true. She tried. She tried very hard, and she, she did. She was eating better. She, she wasn't drinking. She never smoked. She, she started taking yoga classes. She ate better than I did. She didn't drink, even though I kept drinking. She never smoked, although I kept smoking. She tried not drinking so much coffee, but but I didn't. And she was working all day, and I wasn't feeding her. And she needed comfort, and 
I was out every night. And she was in trouble, and I wasn't paying attention. The baby was in trouble, and I wasn't paying attention. It was me. It was me. May, Memorial Day. His memorial was on Tuesday, May 29th, the day after Memorial Day. Good afternoon. Tony and I would like to thank you all for joining us in our backyard on this rainy Tuesday afternoon. Today was our son's due date, and in order to get past this day, we wanted to commemorate him to share with you, our, our closest friends and family, what he means to us, and to give you the chance to share with each other what he meant to you. I read somewhere that we use language to understand our world. Someone who loses a spouse is a widow or a widower. Someone who loses a parent is an orphan. There is no word for parents of a dead child, so we do not understand who we are. We did not cry when we held him. When we saw him, we were speechless, in awe, born into a world he would never know. We have cried many times since. We cry for him, but more for us. See, I know who he is now, but I do not know who I am. It has been so long since he died, so long since I sang to him, told him my stories. Did he know who I am? Did he know my voice? These are things we have tried to understand through our two-month mourning period. And as much as we are not ready, today is a day for moving on. There are already others who need our comfort and our sympathy. The rain had stopped. Everyone was encouraged to say something. We handed out sheets of red handmade paper and pens and wrote secret messages to our boy, which we then burned in the birdbath under the magnolia tree. We said goodbye. After two months of mourning in silence, we tried to let him go. The next day, we went to an amusement park. The Mailing List when your baby is learning to chew and mash, it's time for next step dinners. Tender bits of veggie and pasta blended with the puree your baby is used to. Next step dinners help your baby grow one step closer to toddler food. Make your baby a healthier, happier baby with next step. Hello? Yes, I received one of your advertisements in the mail today for your baby food products. I, I want my name removed from your mailing list. It's my wife's name. Oh, any idea how we got put on your list? Uh, anyway, it's Thayer. T-H-A-Y-E-R. Tony, that's with an I. <sighs> Very good. Thank you. Thanks. June. Father's Day. Soon after we got out of the hospital, my brother Henrik asked if we wouldn't like to stay with him and his family in London. They had a couple of free weeks in June. June? We hadn't thought of life past the due date. The summer was supposed to be spent with a new baby. 
We accepted their invitation immediately. My brother, his wife, and their six-year-old daughter Lydia live in a fairly large house that used to belong to a vicar. It's narrow but tall, you know, three stories with a wide oaken staircase running right up the middle. I was just waking up one Sunday morning in my bathrobe, clutching a cup of coffee, heading up to see how Tony was doing. It was Father's Day. No ties or socks, please. I'd just like my dead son back. My niece cornered me on the landing. Can I ask you something? Would you like to play market? She took me by the hand and led me into her room, which was a fabulous mess. There were posters covering every inch of the walls and her own drawings. The floor was cluttered with toys and, and clothes and art supplies and everything. She sat me down on the floor by the bed. You will run the market and I will be the shopper. What can we use for a counter? Yes, that would be very nice. What should we sell? Yes, I have food. I have some fruit here. It's plastic. That's a banana. Those are grapes. That's an aubergine. I don't know what those are. Daddy made me some money we can use. These are dollars and these are cents. I don't know why he didn't make pounds and pence, but that's what they are, dollars and cents. That's a soft monkey. Hey. We're playing market. Have fun. Oh. Uh. What else do we need? We have some animals. I have a bear who is a very silly bear, and Tommy the dog who is very sick. Every animal had a story. Every toy had a story. I was stuck in Lydia's room, cross-legged on the floor, and I had run out of coffee. I almost thought this had been a setup, that someone had asked her to do this, an unwitting participant in someone's idea of a Father's Day present, even if it was a rather cruel one. It took us almost an hour to create our market. I had a wide variety of wares and put on a floppy hat, because I wanted to. We took turns buying and selling things to each other. <clears throat> I think I would like to get another cup of coffee. Do you mean you want to stop playing? I like playing, but I would also like some more coffee. Can I tell you something? I think my father isn't the only one getting a Father's Day present this morning. Is that a surprise? Uh-huh. Hmm. Do you like getting surprised when you get a present on your birthday? Uh-huh. Well, surprises are like presents, and sometimes it's more fun when they're kept secret. I, I like presents a lot, and I like surprises, so we'll keep that one a secret, just you and me, okay? Just then, her mother rang the bell for breakfast. We had a real English breakfast, pancakes and sausage and bacon and turkey rashers, meat, meat, and meat. Mm. I lied, by the way. I hate surprises, but I do like presents, and my brother and I each got a homemade ceramic coffee mug with our name on it, and I got a tie. You're listening to David Hansen's I Hate This, A Play Without the Baby, on ReSound from Chicago Public Radio and the Third Coast Festival. 28 Hours to Birth, in the Atrium. My parents came and took me to the atrium to force me to eat. I found a seat by the fountain facing her window, ready to leap if I saw anyone rushing about in there. I had my pager in case she needed me. I sat and tried to remember to chew as I wolfed down a cheeseburger and fries. In the next two months, I would gain 15 pounds eating like that. Mom looked stricken. Dad just looked helpless. I, I don't express emotions very well, but... Uh... I really am very sorry. Yeah. Yeah. 
thanks for coming down here. It, it's just the most awful thing. Uh, I called Henrik in London and Denny in St. Paul. Denny says he's ready to come into town now if we want him to, but to the extent that we've been planning anything, we're pretty sure we're going to go visit Connie in Athens as soon as we get out of here and stay there as long as Tony wants. But I did ask Denny to come in April. I'm sorry. That sounds stupid. I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm the only one who brings any sadness into this family. Mom, do you remember when I was getting divorced? You said, are you doing this just to feel something? Just to have something new to write about? I'm sorry I keep letting you both down. June. Hamleys. I don't know what we wanted our trip to London to be, but it wasn't what we wanted. We just wanted to take it easy, camping out in St. James Park, watching the coots and geese and very brave pelicans, and the crazy middle-aged squirrel men, and the parade of bloody perambulators. Have you ever noticed there are newborn babies absolutely everywhere, even in Britain? My brother Henrik, unfortunately, wasn't really helping. I had spoken to him at length over the phone about how things were with us, and he said he looked forward to talking to Tony about the baby when we came, but it never really happened. On the rare occasion the subject came up, it would just hang there, like a dead thing. Are you having a nice visit? Oh, it's all right, you know. Not what we were expecting. Oh, I'm sorry. What were you expecting? We were expecting a baby. Oh, yes. We were there two whole weeks, and we were dying to talk about the baby. In particular, I wanted to talk to Lydia about him. My brother had said over the phone that she had lots of questions, but she hadn't asked any. But then was she supposed to bring the subject up? Our last full day, a Saturday, my brother and his wife had to work, and so Lydia was escorting us to Hamley's, Britain's largest toy store. A toy store. So... You can picture Tony and I surrounded by children on six floors, crammed with toys and games and play sets, with our gregarious and very excitable niece running up to every other child in the place, trying to do what they're doing, trying everything out. She got some strange looks. <gasps> Why is this girl acting like my friend? Sometimes it was heartbreaking to watch. Mostly it made us delirious. The topmost floor has a cafe in it, so we were able to catch our breath, have ice cream, and the three of us conspired together about what one present we were going to get for Lydia. I sat in silence for a moment while the two of them talked, trying to figure out what to do. This was our only chance, and I was terrified. Lydia, honey, I want to talk to you about something important, okay? She got very still and didn't look directly at me. Later, I realized I was probably using a tone that my brother reserves for reprimands. Uh-huh. You know, Tony and I were expecting a baby, right? Only he died. Yeah. Well, we wanted you to know that if you have any questions for us about him or about what happened, it's okay to ask us. Okay. How was how he... How was he taken out? I gave birth to him in the normal way, so we got to see him. Did you name him? We told her his name. Do you think he will know you when you get to heaven? I think he will. Will he grow up in heaven? 
Maybe he will be a man. No, he will be a boy. I think he will be a boy when he sees you in heaven. We said that maybe he will be. And then we threw away our ice cream cups and went off to get a present. Lydia asked three questions about our son. She asked more questions than anyone else in my family. July. The mailing list. Hello, I need my name taken off your mailing list. 44121. The last name is Thayer. Oh, does it? It says right there? How many times? This is my third call. Wow. So you might imagine I am not pleased. See, our son died, and we've been receiving regular mailings from you full of congratulations for our newfound joy and offering us exclusive discounts for your baby food products, only we can't use them because, you see, he's dead. I shouldn't take this out on you. It, is there someone else there I should be speaking to? Good. Hi, what's your name? Hi, Diane. I've been receiving your money-saving coupons for months now, only there's no baby here. You see, he died. I'm sure you will now offer to remove my name from your mailing list, only we tried that and they keep coming. I would love to have the opportunity to feed my child some future living child your baby food for every single meal, only I can't right now. You understand? Good. Thank you. I appreciate your concern. This is not your fault. But every time we get one of these things, I... My wife has a bad day. You'll do your best. I... I don't think that'll make any difference, but I, I hope you can. Okay. Okay, thanks. Okay, bye. 16 hours to birth. Nurse evil. Tony was induced. Our first nurse, the angel, was a distant memory. Others had seen us through that first sleepless night. Whenever one would enter, I would sit up, ready to do something, though there was nothing for me to do, and then just go back to sleep. They were all... Very kind. Except for one. Hello there, how are you? I'm Evelyn. I'll be on until 3 p.m. So how are things? Yeah, you know I couldn't sleep last night either. My kids were just running around driving me crazy. You don't have to sit on that stool, Mr. Thayer. That rocking chair is a lot more comfortable. Don't you want to sit in that rocking chair? Well, suit yourself. Do you want me to turn the television on? It's okay to watch the television. Got the room all to yourself. You sure? My kids, they got the TV on all the time. Drives me crazy. Well, you know how it is. The bedpan? Sure enough. Let me just take care of this and I'll be right back. By 3 p.m., I had become quite proficient in changing a bedpan. July. Sitting up. I can't sleep. I hate this. What are we supposed to do? Yes, I know she said she wouldn't be until 2, but that doesn't make her 15 minutes late. That makes it 2.15 in the morning and she isn't home yet. I mean, I know. I'm sorry. I know she's your sister, yes, and I know she's 17 and she has a certain amount of freedom at home. I think that's part of the problem. Excuse me for saying so, but you know? I mean, this is my house and while she's staying with us this summer, I mean, I mean it's just courtesy, you know? I sound like my dad. I hate this. I like your sister. I mean, 
I love your sister. I, I think she's great. I just wish she would show some consideration. She's always thinking of herself. You know, hooking up with that guy. What? I know they're not hooking up. I mean, not that we know of. I wouldn't put it past him. Jeez, how old is he? 27, 28? What a creep. I mean, he's an all right guy and all, but how do we know what he's capable of? What? I know that's her business. That's not what's bothering me. Well, I, I don't know. Okay, maybe it is. No, no, it isn't. What's bothering me is that you and I are sitting up in the middle of the night worrying about whether she's coming home or safe, and she's not my kid. When are they going to call us about the autopsy? Is that her? Good. August. Julie. You have reached 555-2992. Neither Tony nor David can come to the phone right now. Please leave a message. Hello. This is a message for David and, and for Tony, too, I guess. This is Julie. I'm very sorry about our last conversation. I don't think I said very helpful things. The thing is, your phone call really scared me. I knew you were due soon, and I thought you were calling to tell me that you had a baby. The reason I was so scared on the phone is... I'm pregnant again. Right now, I'm very pregnant, and so I didn't know what to say. I hope the two of you are doing all right. I have thought of you both often since our phone call, and I know you will be strong, and I hope, someday, happy. Okay. Call me when you get the chance. I love you guys. Bye. Eleven hours to birth. At her bedside. We didn't talk too much. I was afraid of anything I might say. In the hours spent sitting there or walking around the room, there were so many thoughts, but I was afraid to share any of them. Any one of them might be too much to bear. Do you remember? It was just Sunday night, only two nights ago. We stopped in at the diner after birthing class because you were hungry and I hadn't been to the grocery store. I, I was going to go yesterday. You remembered that six years ago, yesterday, March 19th, 1995, was the day you moved here from New York to be with me. And you said, you said you had only just realized how afraid you were to say goodbye to the most calm, successful, an emotionally fulfilling period of your life. And I said something dumb, like, well, all of life is a transition. We cannot stay in one place. Our lives will and must always change. But I didn't mean this. She was on magnesium sulfate. Her blood pressure was wildly out of control, and the mag sulfate was to keep it in check and to keep her from having seizures. That's all preeclampsia means, before seizures. She might have had one any time in the past few days. The stuff made her feel terrible, and she was also on painkillers. We wanted to have a natural childbirth, but, well. What was never spoken was the very real possibility that she might die. It was what she was already thinking and what I refused to think. There were no guarantees. There was no one to say, oh, that can't happen, too. No one to reassure me that I wasn't going to leave this hospital entirely alone. You are going to be all right. I'm not going to leave you. I'll be right here. <laughs> yes, of course it's all right if you close your eyes for a little bit. I would sit and read, wander around the room. I looked out the window into the atrium. 
they turned off the fountain for repairs. The fountain was dry. Uh, it really was. I wouldn't make up an image like that. August. The autopsy. The lab finally sent over the autopsy report. I'm sorry it took so long. This may be difficult to hear. There were no genetic defects. For all intents and purposes, yours was a completely normal, healthy child. Fetal demise occurred between the 28th and 29th weeks. That's one to two weeks before birth. He was not alive that last Friday night. He did not hear you sing to him that last time. As we had guessed, the cause of death was the onset of early and extreme preeclampsia, a term which remains highly vague and describes countless otherwise unexplainable neonatal deaths. But we can say it was brought on by severe high blood pressure, which may or may not have been caused by that hag, your boss, John Malkovich's terrible accent in Shadow of the Vampire, or the fact that David entirely failed to properly care for your physical or emotional needs while you were pregnant. There was amniotic fluid in his lungs, which suggests that, as a result of oxygen starvation in the womb, he attempted to take a breath. I will pause for a moment to allow the true horribleness of that fact to sink in. <laughs> At the time of birth, there was partial decomposition of the right leg and the brain had begun to liquefy. Do not feel too bad about not having called David's parents over to visit him the night he was born. They would not have seen what you had seen. That's it. We cannot confirm whether or not he liked Elvis, Chinese food, or Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon. That is all you will ever know about your son. I hope this has been of some comfort. Mom, Dad, we got the autopsy report today. If you have any questions about what happened, please feel free to ask us. Uh, oh, uh, uh, well, is there anything you think you should tell us? Oh, no. I guess not. The Cloisters. Tony used to live in Washington Heights. While we were courting, we'd take walks to Fort Tryon Park, her favorite place in the world, and on up to the Cloisters, which, for those of you who don't know, is an annex to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. In late summer, Tony had a gig in New York. I went along, of course, and my eldest brother, Denny, joined us for all of the excitement, because he is an exciting guy. Thank you so much for inviting me. To this place or to New York in general? Both. Well, thanks for flying out here, Denny. It means a lot to Tony. It means a lot to me. I thought you'd like it here. I mean, this place here. You like medieval art, you know? You ever been here? No. Oh. I didn't think so. I love this one. I... I used to just think it was weird. I mean, Mary's just sitting there reading, and the Holy Spirit is flying through the window at her. <laughs> this little snow-white baby Jesus sailing through the window, holding a cross. And it's so tiny. That thing is about the size of a fetus at two months. He's holding a cross. He's headed into the womb, equipped with the means of his own death. That baby was never meant to live. And there's Joseph sitting in the other room. He's just sitting there. He's crafting something out of wood, making holes. He has no idea what's about to happen to him. Tony finds it so difficult to enjoy anything. I thought this trip would mean a lot to her. She lived here for seven years, you know, living, working. I, 
I thought coming here would be another diversion, and she gets to see old friends, familiar places, but you know, I... I don't think she wants to be diverted. I don't know how much longer I can stay at home. I, I've never lived anywhere else. I always felt like I had something to do there, something to accomplish, but now... You know, to be a small part of something so much bigger than yourself, like this city, I, and that really appeals to me now. I can see you've changed a lot. For the first time in my life, you seem older than me. Didn't the divorce make me seem older? Uh, no. Uh, no. I guess it wouldn't. <sighs> Summer's almost over. That's two seasons down. He was born on the equinox. We were in London for the solstice. As soon as we get back, she's going to resume going to school, and I have a new job. It's not what you were expecting. No. We wanted to ask if you were interested in having us up to St. Paul for Thanksgiving. That'd be great. Just the three of us. Yes, I know. We can talk about the baby. This reminds me of my favorite piece from Hamlet. You remember what I had Dad read at the memorial? Uh, it's when Horatio is trying to warn Hamlet not to fight with Laertes. Hamlet's already figured it all out, and it's too late, but at least he has this clear idea about life and, and, and God and fate and everything. He says, There is special providence in the fall of a sparrow. If it be now, it is not to come. If it be not to come, it will be now. If it be not now, yet it will come. The readiness is all. Since no man of aught he leaves knows aught, what is to leave betimes? And that's the sparrow. That's my guy. You're listening to David Hansen's I Hate This, A Play Without the Baby, produced by Dave DiOrio and engineered by Al Dahlhausen. This is ReSound from Chicago Public Radio and the Third Coast Festival. Eight hours to birth. Nurse Evil. Everything all right in here? They got you on anything for that high blood pressure? No, magnesium sulfate is to keep you from having seizures. That doesn't have anything to do with your blood pressure. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Well, what was it that you needed? Need to have a bowel movement, huh? How does it feel? Oh, yeah? I'm going to need to examine you. Why? Because we don't know why you're feeling pressure. You don't know that. I need to examine her. Because I do. Well, I'll let you try and have a bowel movement without examining you. You might give birth right in the bedpan. How do you know that's not what it is? Well, what do you want me to do? This nurse was arguing with Tony over whether or not she could take a poo. Tony was virtually hysterical, and I was just sitting there. I didn't know what to do. My wife does not consent to this examination. No, I, I didn't say that. I only wish I'd said that. What I did say was this. Please go and find our midwife. It's okay now. It's okay. She's getting her. I won't let that happen ever again. Besides, she won't be back. How do I know? Because it's finally three... September. The future. 
Sometimes I miss the 90s and everything that made them unique. I miss the Brazilian pop samba revival and the swing dancing revival. I miss lounge music, the martini thing and the cigar thing. I miss that first electric thrill that came with buying something online. I miss the Democratic Party. I miss conspiracy theories, urban legends, alien abductions, all that fake fear. See, we were purging ourselves of the 20th century, and the anticipation of the 21st century was so much sweeter than what it is offered. The future. Our future had dried up, and we felt so alone in that emptiness. That was until two passenger planes slammed into the World Trade Center. Suddenly, everyone was shocked, confused, scared, horrified, and angry. From 500 miles away, we watched on our television sets as those mammoth structures collapsed into dust. The towers fell. And I thought, yeah, it feels like that. November. The mailing list. This is David Hansen. I have continued to receive your advertisements in the mail. Would you mind checking to see how many times I've called? Thayer, 44121. Seven. Okay, that's bad, isn't it? Can I speak to Ms. Diane Jung, please? Is this Ms. Jung? Hi, David Hansen. You know what I got today? Congratulations from your company on my toddler's upcoming six-month birthday, which is funny because he's been dead for almost nine months. You're sorry. Hell, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know what you meant. Uh, yeah, no. No? It's too late for that. I will never even consider using your product. And I'll be telling all of my friends never to use your product, which sucks for you, as I know a lot of people. Hell, I'm going to be telling perfect strangers, lots of them, now take my name off your mailing list. Right. Yeah. Good luck. <sighs> Thanksgiving. Yes? Oh, hi, Mom. No. No, we're fine. It's just... What is it? You want to join us for Thanksgiving. You were hoping it would be okay for you and Dad to come to St. Paul with us for Thanksgiving. No. No. He can't come. December. Julie. We generally remember to send holiday cards. Most years we do. Some years, you know, when we're really, really busy, we forget. This year, we sent over a hundred cards. Everyone who sent us condolences, everyone who helped us, that couple from birthing class who had the strength to contact us. Some of the cards we received included kind and, you might say, appropriate messages. Looking forward to better times next year. Best wishes for a peaceful holiday season and a new year filled with happiness and good fortune. <laughs> Love the one I got from my boss. Happy holidays and a happy and healthy 2002. Ron, Kathy, little Justin, and the one on the way.
My favorite was probably from Roger, whose own brother had died recently. He started off by saying, Wow, 2001 kind of sucked, didn't it? Julie sent an entire letter. Merry Christmas, 2001. Oh, David, I've been trying to be in touch with you, and I know you must be very busy with your new job. I hope you can return one of my calls soon. I know this has been a difficult year for you, and it has become one for me, too. On August 25th, after a short labor, our daughter, Alexandra Clare, was born. The joy was interrupted when the doctors determined that she has Down syndrome. There are some medical problems commonly found in Down children. She was born with a large hole in her heart. The cardiologist hoped to wait 12 to 24 months before operating, but she had to have the surgery much sooner. The operation was complicated, but successful. She came home a week later. She's such a little trooper. She has red hair like me. I've learned to take things a day at a time. I still grieve for the child I didn't have, but less often as time goes by. I still fight depression sometimes. I am learning to accept this, I mean her, as a reality, and there is comfort in that. She is still at risk for serious respiratory illness and may also have eating disorders, hearing problems, and speech issues. She will be mentally retarded. I can only slightly understand your loss with the death of your son. When our hopes and dreams don't come true, our perspective on life changes forever. I feel as if I've joined a club whose membership I never wanted. It always happens to other people. I'm sure you and Tony are very busy. You always are. But please give me a call when you get the chance. I admire your strength and hope that you are happy again. Hope your holidays are fun. Take care. Love, Julie. Yes, Julie. We are members of a club we never wanted to join. But they are different clubs. Four hours to birth. The rocking chair. I had learned the routine. Rather than bother a nurse, I would walk from our room, which was in the quiet section of labor and delivery, past the second floor front desk and into the noisy section. I could hear other mothers giving birth to live, healthy babies in other rooms as I passed. Then past the nurse's station. <laughs> I must have looked like a ghost. Maybe they noticed me. There's that sad-looking man. Why doesn't he go home and shave and change his clothes? I was going to get popsicles and ice water, which were around the corner from the nurse's station, and right next to a small, unoccupied room. I looked in. This is where they had taken us two weeks earlier when Tony had been dehydrated. She'd had some kind of stomach flu. They swear it was unrelated to the baby's death. We checked in at four in the morning on a Sunday. We had been up all night. I had been drinking and... And it had a few cigarettes, and anyway, I was feeling just crappy. And they hooked her up to a saline drip, checked her signs. They put the baby's heartbeat on a monitor so we could hear it. Mr. Thayer, you can sit in this rocking chair if you like. So I did. Rocking back and forth, back and forth, listening to my baby's heartbeat. I couldn't stay awake. I just rocked and slept rocked and slept. My baby was in trouble, and I didn't know it. Its heartbeat was so loud. That was the last time I ever heard it. 
in a rocking chair. Sleeping in a rocking chair while my child was dying. December 2001. Anus Horribilis. The year ended so differently from how it began. 2001 started with a horsey ride around Niagara Falls. Tony and I, plump and swaddled in the carriage, happy and smiling and ignorant. In the middle of the night, in the warm safety of our hotel bed, on that first day of the true millennium, she felt him move for the very first time. Happy New Year. Five minutes to midnight on the last day of the worst year ever. At Connie's house in Athens, next to the Christmas tree, Tony and Con knocked out on the floor. I was wrapped up on the couch watching Dick Clark. Times Square looked scary and cold. Excited, brave, and very drunk tourists shouting, God bless the USA, and speaking freely with Dick about their New Year's resolution to take out some ragheads. I considered letting the women sleep through it, but woke them, as they had asked, in time for the countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Good riddance. March 20th, 2002. The first birthday. So, we made it. Oh, at least it's not snowing. Uh, hand me that bit of newspaper. I want to wipe off these bricks. Here we go. You have the chalk? Okay, I'll start drawing on this corner and you can start on that corner and we'll meet somewhere in the middle, huh? I love you. What's your favorite part of the day, Ben? Yeah, the otters. Of course, I'm glad they got him some friends. That looks nice. I like that. Oh, hi. No, we're not doing anything. This brick has our son's name inscribed on it. We're just coloring it with chalk. It's his birthday. No, he's... Yeah. Yeah, that's right. No, please. Don't worry about it. Thanks. Yes, the weather did work in our favor. It's the first day of spring. Do we need anything else for the cake before we get home? Cool. This looks nice. I like this. March 20th, 2001. The birth. A little after 11 p.m., we were eating popsicles. I was reading. Tony was lying comfortably. The epidural was finally doing its thing. She couldn't feel anything from her hips down. Oh... I'm feeling pressure. Uh, should I, uh... Yes. I leapt around the bed to the intercom. Um, we need a nurse in here. Someone will be there soon. Um, I think it's an emergency. I hadn't used the word emergency yet. Two nurses and our laconic resident burst into the room within 30 seconds. One threw back the sheet. Oh. Was all she said. From her reaction, all I could imagine was that the baby's head had already started poking out. I was standing at the head of the bed, by Tony's right shoulder. I took her hand in both of mine. Are you ready? Yes. I looked down at the nurse, at the doctor, for the baby. No, look at me. I need you to look at me. And I did. She didn't want me to watch, and she was right. 
You are going to be fine. Push. She did. One push, and that was all. They slid the baby into a blanket-lined stainless steel bowl and whisked it away. We were left alone. You did it. We did it. It was so quiet. The atrium was empty. The fountain was dry. The lights were low. We were all alone. A nurse returned shortly after. It's a boy. And that was the first time we knew. Our midwife joined us, congratulated us. Do you want to see him? We did. He won't look like a healthy live baby. He won't look nice. She went and returned with the boy. Tony was so tired and so drugged. Our midwife handed him to me first. He was so small. And in the moment I took him, I had the insane notion that he was alive. I couldn't help it. His face changed, his brow furrowed and then relaxed. His head was so soft the slightest movement gave him expression. He was dark. His eyes were little slits. There was a little blood coming from his nose. I stood next to Tony and showed him to his mother. He has your nose. He has your mouth. My poor, dark, still boy. Calvin Baker Thayer Hansen. What a big name for such a small boy, said the nurse who wrote his death certificate. He is my son, I said. He is my son. He is my son. I Hate This, A Play Without the Baby, by Cleveland playwright David Hansen, adapted from his play of the same name. It's been performed all over the country and has also been used to educate medical practitioners about grief support. The radio play was produced by Dave Diorio and engineered by Al Dahlhausen with music by David Urich. Other voices you heard were Nina Domang, Magdalene Donnelly, Allison Garrigan, Sadie Grossman, Betsy Hogue, Nick Kesters, Brian Padesi, Dee Perry, Scott Plate, Dorothy Silver, Ruben Silver, and Thomas Weaver. I Hate This, the radio play originally aired on WCPN in Cleveland. ReSound is a production of Chicago Public Radio and the Third Coast International Audio Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Roman Mars and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. Our production assistant is Delaney Hall. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear dozens of outstanding documentaries from around the world. Lead support for the Third Coast Festival is provided by the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, with additional funding from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Endowment for the Arts, American Airlines, and Chicago's Navy Pier. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else, unless you live everywhere else.